church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week as we dive deeper into the season of Advent. We're preparing for the coming of our Lord, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Son of Man, who would be cut from the rock, not hewn by human hands, but by God himself, for he is God. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we are told, by the great baptizer in the second week of the the season of Advent and the readings at Mass. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to dive deep on the coming of the kingdom of God. The Son of Man, what does all this mean? What kind of language is this? And, And what can we get out of it? That's all up on today's show. But before we begin, we always start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. All praise and all glory and honor be to you, Almighty God, as we come before you to praise your holy name, to study your word, and to be enriched by it, to just dive deep into it and let it soak in our heart that we might proclaim your glory in all of our environments, home and work and society. Oh, my Lord, teach us your word. Teach us your your salvation history. Show us the beauty and depth of your church, of the sacraments that you have given us, the food for the journey, the grace that we live by. We pray, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, ever faithful to your promises and ever close to your church, the earth rejoices in hope of the Savior's coming and looks forward with longing to his return at the end of time. Prepare our hearts, 
and remove the sadness that hinders us from the feeling of joy and hope which his presence will bestow, for he is Lord for ever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, that intro song is Emmanuel from Steve and Grisano. You can find a link to Steve's website at my site at www.catholichack.com. Be sure to stop by the website and look for the show notes for The Kingdom of Heaven is at Hand, because I'm drawing rather heavily upon what I call the three amigos of Catholic scripture scholarship, Dr. Brant Petrie, Dr. Michael Barber, and Dr. John Bergsman. I also threw in some Father William Most in there, just to be, you know, well-rounded and healthy. Well, I'm going to post a lot of links to some articles and some materials that you can read and dive much, much, much deeper upon, Uh, and there'll be some audio material in there as well that you can listen to on this subject of the kingdom of God, how it comes, and the Son of Man, and where we can dive really, really deep and draw out some of this rich material, because this is what Our Lady and St. Joseph were expecting there in that fourth kingdom period. We'll talk about all that here in a minute. So repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, said John the Baptizer. This was from the readings of the second week of Advent and the gospel, of course. As he's talking to those Pharisees and all those people who came out to be baptized, to repent of their sins, to to be cleansed in a liturgical way, only our Lord would come and raise that to the level of a sacrament. He even talks about these Pharisees and these scribes that come out. You brood of vipers, who warned you of the coming wrath? Show good, fr- good works. Show the fruit of your, of your repentance. Prove to us that you truly are a repentant soul. That message is good for all of us, isn't it not? Because this is the season. This is the time, this Christmas Lent, when we have to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Son of Man, the coming of the Son of God, when he comes to take his kingdom, his throne, and bestow it, make it real. So we do this in a very spiritual way, preparing our hearts. One great way to do that is going to confession. Now, I tried to go to confession this last week. I stood in line for over an hour. I was the very next person to get in, and the priest had to go to Mass. Missed it by that much. (laughs) So I need to get to confession this week. But I encourage you, go to confession. Make this a great Advent season, preparing yourself for Christmas. Now, Our Lady and St. Joseph, I mentioned this already once, they lived in a very, very unique time. This was the the fourth age. This was a time when messianic fervor was at its peak. The people of God were expecting a ruler from from their own people to come and to take over the world, to set up the, the kingdom of God on earth, the kingdom of the people. This is what they were expecting. And so we saw false prophets all over the place. In fact, there was a first century historian named Josephus. He was actually a historian, a rabbi, a a Jewish general, and even a Roman captive. And he was commissioned by the emperor in Rome to write the histories of the war with Rome and the Jews. He was there when Titus destroyed uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD, and he, he documented the carnage 
of that event, and it was rather uh, detailed and uh, disturbing in a lot of ways. You can read all that online. It's a it's a huge work, and you can certainly read it. I'll post links to it at catholichack.com. But he says, quote, in his, uh, in his work on the war, he says, quote, but what more than all else incited them to the war was an ambiguous oracle, likewise found in their sacred scriptures, to the effect that at the time one from their country would become ruler of the world. This they understood to mean someone of their own race, and many of their wise men went astray in their interpretation of it. First of all, first all that is impossible for men to escape their fate, even though they foresee it. Some of these portents, then, the Jews interpreted to please themselves. Others they treated with contempt until the ruin of their country and their own destruction convicted them of their folly." Unquote. So what he's saying is, at this time, this fourth age, the people of God, due to an ancient uh, oracle found in their Old Testament, were expecting the Messiah to come. So the, the expectation that things were going to look up, that they would no longer be, uh, you know, just vassals in a huge Roman empire. No, they would in fact be the rulers of all the world. So there were false prophets everywhere. So how was one to determine the false prophet from the true prophet? Well, Our Lady and St. Joseph, they were expecting this. This fervor was, was an everyday part of their life. And Our Lady is visited by this angel in St. Luke's Gospel. And she is told that within her womb will grow the Son of God. And this Son will inherit the kingdom of his father David, for he will be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is powerful words to a first century Jew. To them, this means everything. This is what they've been waiting for. This is what they've been expecting. To us Westerners here in the 21st century, it has very little significance. And so we have to dive deep into the Old Testament oracle that Josephus was referring to so we can get more of its richness out, so we can sort of understand what Mary knew, what St. Joseph knew when they encountered this child growing in the womb of this young woman this virgin, as Isaiah would also prophesy about. Now, in the, the quote that I read from Josephus, and I didn't do a very good job, I'm sorry about that, but did you notice the link to the prophet Daniel? Because that's the book that I'm referring to, the ancient oracle. There's three things that come out of these uh, prophecies of Daniel. Specifically, I'm speaking of Daniel 2 and Daniel chapter 7. There's the fullness of time, when that kingdom will come. There is the fact that the kingdom is coming, and it's the Son of Man who is the King. Those are very three significant things that we need to focus on today. We read in Galatians chapter 4, quote, But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So through God, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. That's Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. The time had fully come. 
Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I've read that countless times and never really stopped to ponder what it meant to, to really think about the time had fully come. Why then? Why so long ago in primitive times? Why not now? Why didn't our Lord the Messiah come now when we have the age of mass communications? I mean, we could YouTube the birth of our Lord, right? We could we could put out on Ustream a live feed of our Lord's birth, the coming of, of Christ the King. Why? Why then? Not now. What was so great? What was so full about that time and not this one? Well, our Lord often spoke of the coming of the kingdom of God. He often used the word son of or the term son of man to describe himself. And as I said before, these are hot button red flag, oh, fireworks are going off, you know, kind of uh, words to the Jews in the first century because they were living in the fourth age. In St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 33 through 34, we read, quote, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. That's our Lord invoking the Son of Man for himself, telling the, the hearer of that, that he is the fulfillment of the Danielic prophecy on the Son of Man and the coming of the kingdom of God. In fact, it was the, the very mention that he is the Son of Man that gets our Lord the death penalty. Okay? Our Lord had been preaching and teaching, and they I know they wanted to kill him, but what was the straw that broke the camel's back? It was his use of this Danielic prophecy of the coming of the Son of Man and how the Son of Man will rise on the clouds. In Mark, St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, we read, quote, in verse 61 and 62, But he was silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven, unquote. That's when Caiaphas rips open his vestments, which he was not allowed to do, by the way. (laughs) He broke the law just by doing that. But he rips open his vestments. Blasphemy! Kill him! What further need have we of witnesses? Kill him! Because they realize that our Lord is standing there. And he's claiming to be God himself. I am, ego me, the son of man will come on the clouds of heaven. That cloud is not uh, a big fluffy cloud you see in the sky. That's the Shekinah glory cloud of, of God himself. The very cloud that led the people out of Egypt in the wilderness. Now, question. When you hear that sentence, uh, that the son of man will be seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven, What direction do you think he's coming? I would say that most people think he's coming down, like in the second coming of Christ, but no, not really. He's actually going up. This is a a reference to the ascension, not the the, the second coming. And uh, we'll elaborate on that here in a few minutes. But even St. Stephen, the very first martyr recorded in Scripture, even he references the, the vision of the Son of Man. He says in Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 56, quote, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, 
I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Unquote. So who is this Son of Man? What is this kingdom that's coming? For that, we again, we have to turn back to the ancient oracle, the prophecy of Daniel. And again, this is what Our Lady and St. Joseph knew. They knew this prophecy like the back of their hand. They were fully expecting the coming Messiah in their time, in their age. For their age was the fulfillment of the prophecy. And we'll get into that here right now, actually. So keep that in, your, in the back of your mind. This is what they knew when they encountered that angel Gabriel telling them that within that womb grows the Son of Man. In Daniel chapter 2, we'll start there first, and you're going to have to go back and read Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. I won't be able to read them all here. Or Time is short, you know what I'm saying? So the show goes very fast. So I really encourage you to read Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. Now, what you'll read in Daniel chapter 2 is that Daniel was called to give an interpretation of a dream that the king had, King Nebuchadnezzar. He had this strange dream that frightened him, so he called all the soothsayers, all of the enchanters, all those folks who claimed to have some magical power, and he says, tell me what my dream was, then interpret the dream. They're like, whoa, king. We can't do that. Only the gods can tell you what your dream was. If you'll tell us the dream, then we can interpret it. The king's like, no, you obviously have no ability whatsoever, because if you did, you'd tell me what my dream was, then you'd interpret it. Kill them all! Execute every one of them! Daniel says, wait, time out. Give me an opportunity. I'll ask my God if he'll give us uh, the, the wisdom to know what your dream was, and then I'll come and tell you. And so he does. He prays to the one true God. He gets the answer. He, then he goes to sing King Nebuchadnezzar. And there he starts to tell him what the dream was and then interprets it for him. Now, uh, assuming you're going to go and read, let's draw some similarities. Some, let's notice a couple of things here. Notice the similarities between this account of, of uh, Daniel standing before King Nebuchadnezzar and Joseph the son of Jacob, who was a captive in Egypt and had to also stand in front of a king. Both were captives. Captives of foreign kingdoms and foreign kings. Both received visions from God in dreams. Both could interpret those dreams. Both stood before kings of kings and both were elevated to high posts within those kingdoms. And both were used to save their people. Notice that, those similarities there. Again, Daniel becomes a new Joseph. So much in scripture we see repeating themes and repeating imagery. This is not by mistake. This is for an intent and in purpose by the creator God, breathing scripture, breathing it this divine inspiration into the pages of sacred scripture, giving us something to dive deep into. And here we see the typology within the Old Testament that Daniel becomes a new type of Joseph, a savior almost of his people to be used by, uh, by God to save the people. And we see that here again. Notice also the, the similarities in uh, King Nebuchadnezzar to Adam and to Christ, the last Adam. Both were king of kings, rulers of all creation, and both, you know, had this dominion over the created order. Okay, Daniel makes that clear in his interpretation of the dream as he's telling it to King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Now, the dream itself, the dream was of a large idol, a statue, an image that was worshipped. Okay, I don't have time to get into idol worship of statues today versus veneration of saints and images of saints. But let's just say that the Catholic Church is not worshiping statues or images. We can talk about that in more detail at another show. But this was a large statue that they were worshiping as a quote-unquote god. Now, the statue was made up of four metals. The head was of gold, the shoulders and arms were of silver, and the the loins were was of bronze, and then the legs of iron, and the feet was mixed with iron and clay. Now, there's a lot going on in this image. Notice also the pattern from top, from the top going down to the bottom. We At the top, we have pure gold all the way down to stubble, like, you know, the, the clay mixed with iron. It's it's very rudimentary. That kind of reminded me of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when St. Paul uses the image of the temple and the sacrificial altar as an image for the fires of purgatory, the purification process of entering into heaven. He starts at the outside with the altar and the, the wood and the straw, the stubble, the fire burning up that that sacrifice. And then he moves into the temple and we start to find more precious metals, the bronze and the jewels and the, the silver. And eventually he finds himself in the Holy of Holies, the most pure spot of all of God's house where the purest of gold was used. It's sort of that in reverse. They got the gold of the top of the statue. This is King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king of kings, all the way down to the bottom and the, the clay and the iron mixture. It just I found that very interesting of a comparison. I'd like to dive on that a little more some other time, maybe. But the kingdom of God, all right? The stone, uh, this, before I got it, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. Let's interpret the metals real quick. The gold was King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. The silver was the empire of the Medes and the Persians. The bronze, the loins, that was the empire of the Greeks. The iron was the empire of the Romans. Mixed with clay and the feet, that's because the, the Roman Empire had mixed so, uh, so uh, it become so spread so thin in their cultures that they have dominated that they started to become a little brittle, little brittle. So they're, they're strong, yet they're also weak in that respect. So that's, in a nutshell, the interpretation of that image. But then comes this little tiny pebble that comes and shatters this giant statue and crumbles it to dust because the stone grows into a large mountain that takes over all the earth. Notice how that's sort of like the parable of the mustard seed that our Lord spoke of in the Gospels. It starts out as the tiniest seed, and then it grows into the largest possible tree, this mammoth tree, small to large. This is the very image that Daniel is using in his prophecy. The same image, again, that our Lord would use in the gospel. But also notice that that stone, that pebble, was not cut out by human hands. And we actually read that starting in verse 44 of Daniel 2. It says, quote, actually, uh, let's jump up to 45. Quote, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be hereafter. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. So, 
Daniel is talking about how this stone was not cut out by human hands. That's very important. Solomon, in fact, when he was king of the people and he builds the temple, what does he do? He hewns all the stone in a quarry outside of the city walls. And he does not allow the the sound of tools to be heard anywhere within the kingdom. Why? Because the whole point is the house of God is a divine thing, not a human-made thing, not made with human hands, but made by the hand of God. And so Solomon was trying to simulate this by not allowing the, the, the major construction to happen within the city, within the sound of the, the Evan Shatia, the rock where the temple would be built. Okay, and so he was trying to simulate that. Although even when it was he was consecrating this temple uh, in First Kings chapter eight, he actually has to apologize to God, knowing that this is still at the end of the day, no matter how beautiful it is, still just a house made by human hands, and that it could never contain God. But God still fills it with His Shekinah, His Shekinah glory cloud. His presence comes in and fills the whole temple full of smoke, and it had the sends the priest running out. That's First Kings chapter eight. But again, so there's one image going there of the stone not being hewn by by human hands, and, and it's only God's action that's taking the stone and growing it into a large mountain that takes over all the earth, not just Israel, but all the earth, encompassing all peoples. But also notice that this is a foreshadowing of Our Lady, and how within her womb a child would be would be conceived and would grow. Not by human hands, for it would be the Holy Spirit that would overshadow her. We read about this in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 34 through 35. It says, quote, And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, since I have no husband? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So our Lord is the fulfillment of this stone. He becomes this stone not hewn by human hands, and he grows, his church, his body, grows to encompass all the earth and all peoples. It starts with the people of God and grows from there and encompasses all peoples. So then we talk about the fullness of time looking at this oracle. It Again, it shows how in the fourth age... This prophecy would come to fulfillment. Again, we have the Babylonians. It's after the Babylonians. It's after the Medo-Persian Empire. It's after the Greek Empire and and it being broken up amongst its generals. And it's now during the Roman Empire. This is the fourth age. This is when all of this would come to happen. This is when that stone comes and destroys all those other empires and grows into that large mountain. Again, this is what Our Lady and St. Joseph we're looking for. But what about this son of man? For that, we have to turn to another vision in Daniel chapter 7. Again, read Daniel chapter 7. You're going to have to uh, in order to get the full context of what I'm referring to. But again, there's a vision that this time it's Daniel seeing this vision in a dream and he writes it down and he sees four beasts come up out of the water. You know, that water representing chaos in in certain respects. And they're coming up out of it and in defilement and, and rebellion against God. And he sees these four beasts and these four beasts represent four kingdoms. The first is the king of Babylon. 
The second is the king of Medo-Persia. And the third is the is King uh, Alexander the Great of the Greek Empire. And the fourth is the Roman Empire. And that beast has ten horns. Now, if you notice, if you were to count the emperors in Rome from Caesar to Titus, you'd get ten. So there were ten emperors uh, in that period. And Titus destroyed the temple in 70 AD. So these ten horns represent the ten emperors of the Roman Empire there. Now... But look at the Son of Man in verse 13 and 14. There it says, quote, I saw in the night visions, and behold, within the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should, sur- should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So, the Son of Man rides on the clouds. That's a divine trait. Only the gods could ride on clouds like Zeus and Thor. So to attribute this trait to the Son of Man tells us that this is God himself. And where does he go? Up to the heavenly kingdom, to the heavenly throne room, where the one like the Ancient of Days, sits on his throne, he is presented before him and given a kingdom. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is our Lord Jesus Christ ascending to heaven, not descending in the second coming. So our Lord is the fulfillment of this. As he stood before Caiaphas and said, you will see the Son of Man ascending into heaven on the clouds and sitting at the right hand of God the Father. That's the power of the coming of the kingdom of God and the Son of Man. Prepare your heart this season, for the Son of Man comes and the kingdom comes. Make straight the path in your heart. Until next time, may God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground.